did Bob know he was going to take a fall? Did Clint know that it was something other than heartburn? Did Doyle have any idea that he would be fighting for his life? The answer to all these questions are no. You never know when it's going to happen. I myself had a fairly traumatic experience on Monday. You almost had a new pastor because of a fluke incident. So, I mean, you truly do not know the day or the hour. Joe just walked up to me to share what we are called to do. It's first time church here, right? Second. So he said a few weeks ago he was at Home Depot trying to wrestle some plywood into the truck, and Doyle came over. I said, let me help you. So, you know, Joe being the man he is, what would he say? No, I got it. Oh, I got it. Doyle kept on, said, no, let me help. So they loaded the wood in. <clears throat> Doyle began to Tell him about the Lord, about this little church he goes to, about how important it is to be a believer, attend church. That's why he's here today. We never know when God's going to call us home. So I'm going to tell you this, some point today, probably right after this message, so I want you to open your heart today and let God put a name on your heart. The person you've been procrastinating, waiting to tell, waiting to witness to. Let the Holy Spirit give you that name, and if he gives you that name, he's going to give you the unction to follow through, amen? Amen. Father, we just thank you, Lord God, for this opportunity to once again come into your word, Lord, as a communion of believers. We thank you for the great testimony of those who have gone before us, Lord. And we just pray that we are up to the task as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we began chapter 9 of the book of Acts last week. We are in part 2. Exciting title, I Thought I should probably have oh, Alabama put that on the sign out front. We'd doubled our uh, attendance. Today's title is Exorcism and Miracles. Old pastor once told me, he says, if things are getting slow at the church, you need to get some more parishioners in there. Just put on your sign that you're teaching on Revelation. He says, they'll come out of the woodwork. Last week we talked about how God placed certain spiritual gifts within bodies of believers to help the church and his kingdom and those believers. Today we're going to hit a bit on how God uses miracles to draw attention to himself and the church, as well as we deal with the lack of miracles. Also today we'll hit a topic that is usually one handled in the movies, 
That is the spiritual fight, battle, or gift of exorcism. So let's open back up to the book of Acts chapter 19, and we see what Paul encounters as we begin in verse 11. I believe we're going to go down through 20. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. So even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick. And their diseases left them, and evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had had evil spirits, say, I adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul proclaims. That should have been a red flag right there. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them and said, Jesus I know, Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit was in leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and beaten. This became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now new believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magical arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Amen. This passage starts off with saying God was doing extraordinary miracles. Now, miracles are acceptable and I would say an essential part of the Christian faith. Amen? If you did a study on miracles in the Bible, you'd find yourself going to over 100 passages within the Old and New Testament. One commentator says it this way. Miracles drew attention to Jesus' authority and uniqueness. When the disciples saw Jesus' miracles, they believed. The miracles showed his power over nature, revealed the way he would go about his ministry. Jesus' miracles drew attention to God's care for his creation. Almost every miracle Jesus did was a renewal of fallen creation, whether it was restoring sight, making the lame walk, even restoring life to the dead. Miracles validated the ministry of the early church by attracting new believers, confirming the truth of the apostles' teachings. And they demonstrated that the power of the Messiah, who had been crucified and risen, was now also with them in presence. Amen. Now, those of us who are born-again believers can't help but believe in miracles because we is one. Is we not? If you're a born-again believer, you are a miracle. But why doesn't everyone get a miracle? You know, I mean, like, let's take, for instance, Doyle right now. It's, it's in the hospital. Will, will God grant him a miracle? We don't know. So why is that? That is a really hard question. That's a question that may never be answered to our satisfaction. But God shows his miraculous power. We knows it is best when it is his best, not when we think we, it should happen. In Billy Graham's book on angels, he talks about how many times in the word of God he provided a miracle by the hand of an angel. Like Daniel in the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Yet he also points out that there were stories of those who were slain by the sword torn apart in the arena by lions. They wandered about in goat skins with no delivery. 
Why didn't they get their miracle? Even Jesus, when he was on the cross, said, if it's possible, let this cup pass me by. But here's the key. What did he say right after that? Not my will, but your will be done. Hmm. That was the same faith that those who received no miracle lived on, survived, and counted on. Billy goes on to say that when he was in a very dark place in, this, in his ministry, he couldn't feel the presence of God, and he wrote his mother a letter to explain this. Her response was, son, there are many times that God withdraws to test your faith. He wants you to trust him even in the darkness. Now, son, reach up by faith in the fog, and you will find his hand is still there. Amen? Mm, love that. Ecclesiastes 11 says, there's a passage that speaks of the mysteries of God. Verse 5 says, as you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the woman of a womb with a child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. Amen? So true. I always liked the explanation. I was going to have somebody give me a, a picture of one. I forgot. Anybody here do needlepoint? Two? couple of them? Three? Does everyone here know what needlepoint is? Because this isn't going to work if you don't know. <laughs> so needlepoint is basically where they take this pattern. It's on a frame. And they take all these different colored threads and they follow this pattern. They're showing it. And when it's done, it's this beautiful picture. But have you ever seen the back side of the frame? It is a mass of lines and knots and makes no sense. That's the part of God we see regularly. We want to see that full picture. But he only shows us this right here because our ways are not his ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Amen. First Corinthians 13, 12 says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I always am known. Amen. So Clint's finding out today, he'll know it all. So it is with God's plan. When it comes to miracles, we also have those that are doubting Thomases. Amen. We don't have any of those in the church, do we? Remember what Thomas said, John 20 and 24? Now Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So one of the other disciples told him, said, hey man, we saw the Lord. And he said to them, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger in the mark, and place my hand in his side, I will never believe. That's kind of gross when you think about it, right? Thomas was a doubting Thomas. And eight days later, Jesus showed up, stood by him and said, peace be with you. And Thomas answered him and said, my Lord and my God. Now here's the rest of Jesus' statement that's important to us. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? But blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Amen? The rest of the passage goes on to say, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in the book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now, here in verse 11, Paul was doing extraordinary miracles, which include healing the sick and driving out evil spirits. Now, most of us at one time or another have recognized a physical healing that could only be explained by using the word miracle, amen? I and mean, we've just seen them. 
I have actually heard doctors say I have no medical explanation for how this could possibly be. Why more people don't believe or even see miracles is best stated by author G.K. Chesterton. He says, the world isn't lacking in wonders, but in a sense of wonder. Amen? What do you come to church to see? What do you expect when you come into the house? Do you expect the presence of God? Do you expect to be greeted by ministering angels? Do you expect to hear from the Holy Spirit? Or do you expect to come check your box so your wife will let you go to lunch? I mean, that's okay, too, because you change in his presence. But come with the expectation of seeing a miracle. Me and Ryan are miracles walking. Scared to death of public speaking, yet as a great pastor, right? I was voted least likely to be in the, mer- in the ministry. But yet, here I am, right? A seven-year-old boy's mother asked him what he learned in Sunday school. He said, well, Mom, today we learned about the time when Moses was leading the people of Israel out of captivity in Egypt across the Red Sea. We all know that story, right? said, they got there at the Red Sea, and Moses realized the Israelites couldn't make their way over. So he asked the Israeli Corps of Engineers if they could erect a pontoon bridge. But when all the people of Israel walked over the pontoon bridge, And the Egyptians got there, they had their tanks and their guns and all their heavy artillery, and they sank in the mud. So Moses had the Israeli Air Force come over, and they bombed them, wiped them all out, wiped all the Egyptians out. Well, the mother was horrified. She says, is that what they taught you in Sunday school this morning? He said, well, not exactly, but if I told you what our teacher told us, you'd never believe it. Come with a sense of wonder. Verse 13, then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists, that's kind of like like means a vagabond. In Matthew Henry's commentary, it says they were Jews, but vagabond Jews. They were of the Jewish nature and religion, but were from town to town, got money by conjuring and telling people's fortunes and doing a lot of those sorts of things. So they were hustlers. And this set of brothers went from town to town doing whatever they could to make some money as long as it didn't involve real work. So here we read in 13, they undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits. What happened is they had heard this guy Paul was driving out demons and evil spirits from people, and they thought that sounds like a great way to make some easy money. But here's the problem. The evil spirit answered them and said, Jesus I know, Paul I recognize, but who are you? And that's the question. But who are you? Anyone who's ever been baptized in this church has had my baptism talk, in which I tell them that once you get into those waters, you get what I call a spiritual tattoo. Ephesians 1 says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth and the gospel of your salvation, believed in him, you were sealed with the promise of the Messiah. Ephesians also says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, I tell folks that when you say yes to Jesus, you're saying no to Satan and his demons. You're saying no to the demonic forces of evil that actually exist in this world. And they know that you are now in the family of God, in the army of God, because you're sealed. And make no mistake, we're in an army. 2 Timothy says, endure hardship with us like a good soldier. Philippians 2 says, we are called and fellow workers and fellow soldiers. 
And of course, in Ephesians 6, we're to put on the armor of God against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, Jesus would not have left us all this stuff if this wasn't something we need to be aware of and deal with. Spiritual forces of evil. In December of 2023, that's about a month or so ago, the Pew Research Center came out with these statistics. 83% of all U.S. adults believe people have a soul or spirit in addition to their physical body. This isn't Christians. They just did this big poll, and 83% of the people said, oh, yeah, we're more than just this flesh bag, okay? There's something inside here. There's a soul. There's a spirit. We might not know what it is, but it's there. 81% said there's something spiritual beyond the natural world, even if we can't see it. 30% said they have personally encountered a spirit or unseen spiritual force. So 70% of U.S. adults can be considered spiritual. Now, those numbers don't even take into account Christians only. The same uh, Pew Research did that through, for Christian groups, and they found that 93% of Protestants believe in a spirit, 91% of Catholics, and 69% of Jews. Now, each of us are somewhere in that number, okay? How is that important? Well, if you found yourself in the position that the sons of Sceva found themselves in, how would the evil spirit answer? Would he say, I know you, and I know you, and I know you, but I don't know you. You do not want him to say, I don't know you. You want him to know that you are a child of the living God and that it's through the power of Jesus Christ that we have dominion even over them. Amen? It says, but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, Paul I recognize, but who are you? Last week we talked about spiritual gifts. There was a multitude of them. Prophecy, faith, serving, leadership. Uh, tongues, apostleship, administration, hospitality, even distinguishing between spirits. Now, why would there be so many spiritual gifts if there wasn't a spiritual realm and a spiritual place and a spiritual bodies and spiritual interactions happen and they were meant to be used? Here we have some basic, someone basically trying to work in the spiritual to gain profit in the physical. Do we have people like that today? Yes, we do. As a matter of fact, you go to the fair, you're going to run into some of them. Mm -hmm. As, but let's see what the word of the Lord says. This isn't hocus pocus. Verse 16 says, and the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them. Basically what those terms are when you look it up, it says, he leaped on them and he gave them a holopause style butt whooping. Seven of them run them out naked and bleeding. Spirits are nothing to mess with. They've been around a long time. They're stronger than us. This guy, they accosted because he was trying to do something that he did not have the power to do. This is a warning that spiritual interaction, specifically with evil spirits or demonic presence, is not to be dealt with lightly. Spiritualists and mediums were common among the pagan peoples of Bible lands, it says. God warned the children of Israel against becoming involved with them. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not learn to imitate the detestable ways of the nations there. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices his son or daughter in the fire, who practices divination or sorcery, interprets or omens, engages in witchcraft or casts spells, 
or who is a medium or a spirit who consults the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable before the Lord, Deuteronomy 18. These sons of Sceva were not only, they were peddling in the spiritual for profit or personal gain, and they're not the only ones that were doing it. Verse 18 says, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practice, and a number had practiced these magic arts, brought all their books together and burned them inside all to the tune of about $50,000 at that time. Huge number. Remember the girl that Paul encountered back in Acts 16, the slave girl? So Paul's walking down the road, and the slave girl keeps coming behind me and going, you're a prophet of the Most High God. And Paul finally gets mad, turns around and says, come out in the name of Jesus Christ, just that fast. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas. Mm. Paul knew he was within his rights to confront the spirit. The Lord says in Leviticus, Leviticus 20, I set my face against the person who turns to mediums and spirits because you are prostituting yourself by following them. Ooh. He goes on to say in Leviticus, among the Israelites, the penalty for anyone practicing spiritualism was death. No small thing. And something we all need to be thinking about when we see those card readers or palm readers or spiritualists is the Lord has a special affinity of a dislike for them, amen? Because they are delving into messing with a realm that they should not be in. Biblical historian and commentator Clark tells us, exorcism of evil spirits was very frequent in the primitive church, the name of Jesus. That alone which was used, the primitive father speaks strong and divisive words concerning the power of his name and how demons were tormented and expelled. In the old church letters, we even read of the ministry positions of presbyters, doorkeepers, deacons, exorcists, and lectors. There are 25 verses concerning Jesus casting out demons and evil spirits. Luke 11, he was casting out a demon. Matthew 8, when everything came, they brought him people who were possessed, and he cast them out with a word. In Luke, demons also were coming out of many, shouting, You are the Son of God. In Luke 8, he says, For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for it had seized him for many times. Jesus' disciples cast out demons many times throughout the New Testament as a sign of their own faith. Mark 3, he had appointed 12, and he sent them out, said, Preach the word, and have the authority to cast out demons. And he called the 12 together again and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. Let me end with this somewhat controversial text in the book of Mark. It tells us of what Jesus had to say with the followers after his resurrection. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven. They were reclining at a table. He rebuked them for their unbelief, hardness of heart, because they had not believed in what they had saw after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. If they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. Amen. What we can take away from this is we are spiritual people, and there's a spiritual realm, 
And the Lord says that we are not to delve into that spiritual realm by summoning or seeking the opinions of the dead because what you are getting is not the dead, it's the advice of a fallen angel known as a demon. The only work in the realm of the demonic we have permission to act in is the act of exercising or casting out those demons. And if you are called to do so, you had better be sure you are a child of God. And finally, we see that the name of Christ is not to be trifled with, as it is the power to confront and cast out the demonic. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and has bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Now in a minute, Jamie's going to play some music. And remember what I told you at the beginning of this? So I want you to think about all the things we just heard, about how good and evil is constantly battling. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but the spiritual forces of this dark world. I mean, the cartoon version of this would be, right, the little white angel over here and the little red one over here. One of them's telling you to do one thing, one of them's telling you to do the other, okay? In a way, that's the way the spiritual works. The devil does not want to lose any of his people, okay, that he's choosing to use for his work. So you have to encourage, pray for the Holy Spirit to go to work on that person on your behalf, okay? So let's just say... Uh, John. So John needs the gospel of Jesus Christ, yet he has rejected it because John is a friend of mine. He's mad at God. John had an accident, and John never got past the part of understanding why it happened to him and not somebody else. Okay? So what we do, so we go to the Lord in prayer, and we ask, Lord, would you please send through the Holy Spirit your ministering agents to John to soften his heart to open his eyes, to let him see your glory, to let him see your hand, to let him experience your love. So it's kind of like you're putting in this request for action, okay? And the Holy Spirit agrees, and then he sends out his ministering agents, okay? And they begin, because they're here now, and they begin to work there in John's life. In one way or another, they'll begin to work, okay? And, and at that time, all right, he is being prepared. And it's after he is prepared, that's when you call him up. How are things going, John? Anything new in your life? Oh, yeah, some strange stuff's been happening to me lately. And then maybe you have a chance. Just maybe you have a chance to witness to him. But let me tell you this, too. If, if I call him and he says no, which he has before, is that my failure? No. There's only one person that's going to save John. That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has to give him the unction to open up his heart. Nothing I can say will do that. I can pray. I can present the gospel. But it's the Holy Spirit. So don't think you failed. If your friend, your cousin, your husband, whatever, says no, just go back to the Spirit of God. Say, Lord, please. Let your Holy Spirit continue to work on him. Let your angels continue to minister to him. And watch and see if there isn't a change. I watched a lady 
in here who had 19 children, by the way. She had 19 children, yes. And all she wanted was to see her husband in church. And I watched her pray her kids, her grandkids, her great-grandkids into church. And the last year and a half of her life, I watched those prayers work and saw her husband sitting beside her in church. Amen? Let's go to the Lord. Father, we thank you, Lord God, that we can come to you. Father, we thank you that uh, you died so that we might live. And now we pray, Lord, that there's others in our lives that we want them to see this life as well. Father, remove the blinders from their eyes. Remove the scales. Father, place people in their path that might open them, open their heart to see the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ. And Father, we ask through your Holy Spirit to send your ministering angels, Lord God, to them. Fight the good fight, Lord. Help them fight against the demonic forces that are just got control of them, Lord, that are speaking to them, that are witnessing to them, Lord, that are keeping them controlled in sin. Father, break the chains of sin. Break those bonds, Lord God. Let them know of the freedom that is found in no other name than Jesus Christ. And the church said, Amen. Amen.